slain, slain for us and by us. May we never despise his death by fearing its efficacy for our salvation. And whatever cross we are required to bear, let us see him carrying it heavier. Teach us in health to think of sickness, in the brightest hours to be ready for darkness, in life prepare us for death. Thus may our soul rest in you, our immortal and transcendent God, revealed as you are in the person and work of your Son as the friend of sinners. Father, these words are, are true. And that is our prayer this morning. So much can be said there. But we worship you as Christians in spirit and in truth. Jesus said that you seek worshipers. And you've sought us out and you've saved us. And as Christians, we come in the name of Jesus because our sins are forgiven. They are thrown as far as the east is from the west, all because of the, the cross of Christ. Our sins were laid upon our Savior, the Lord, the King of heaven and earth. And in exchange, He has given us His, His righteousness. And all of your promises are yes in Him. And all of your wisdom even as we read the Proverbs this morning, all of your wisdom is found in Christ as we look unto Him. Father, I pray that you would help us to look unto Christ this morning. That He might be more beautiful. That your truth from Psalm 119 might be proclaimed. That we might be changed. Father, that we, we pray that, that sanctification would be much quicker than we think that, Father, you would change us. And this is your will in, in Christ that we would be sanctified. Father, I pray for those who are sick among us. And there are lots who are sick. And there are lots more that we know if things continue, we'll, we'll be, be also sick in these coming days. Pray for Kristen, my family, and others that, that have told me that their, their family members are sick. Pray that you would heal them up and keep them physically safe. But Father, help them to, to look unto Christ even as they stay home. And uh, help them to see your, your goodness even as we prayed this morning that, Father, these good times would, or these bad times would teach us, make us think of the good and vice versa. You are sovereign and you are on your throne. Father, I pray that you would give us great grace as your church, Father, as the new year comes. And as if you tarry, as we look at even unto next week. Father, as, as most will go back to work and some will still have time off. But Father, we would be bold in our witness. We pray for open doors that we might share the gospel of Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us great wisdom and revelation in Christ. That we might know his love. So many other things, Father, we could pray, but we look forward to this time together, this short time, as we look into your word and as we sing. May we sing now with, um, with great grace in our hearts. 
May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Just open it up to the middle and you'll be about there. Psalm 119. I'm going to pray um, one more time before we begin, but I've entitled this sermon, um, and and again, I preached this years ago, and so this is a version of that, uh, as I realized that I would be preaching this morning at about 11 o'clock last night, but this psalm, immediately, it didn't take me long to know where I wanted to go, but I I called the, the title of the sermon, The Beautiful Law of God. And we could use other words there, but um, I think that's what the that's a big part of Psalm 119. And so, before we begin, let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to, to help us. Lord, we pray that Jesus would increase and that we would decrease. And Father, even these words that we're going to read, not all of it, but some of them, and as we think about them and and, and teach these things and preach these things, I pray that these words would go very deep within us. You have given us the words of life, and that's what we, we read today and we speak about. We pray your spirit would move among us. We pray you would give eyes to see and ears to hear. And Father, we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 119, if you know anything about Psalm 119, it's by far the longest psalm in the Bible. And I would have to say that the subject is, is, is the law of God, although there are many words used there for law, as we're going to find out, or God's way. And so in this psalm, God is revealing who He is, and what He is like, and what He has done, and then particularly what He requires of us. Now, we're not sure who the author is. Maybe it was David. Many attribute it to David. But it's really a poem. If you know anything about the Hebrew here, it's a poem. It's arranged into 22 different sections. Each section, there's, is, it makes up eight verses in our English. But each section begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses is the olive. And and, and then the next one, the, the Baith, and then the next one all the way through, all the way the Hebrew alpha, alphabet. So a Jewish person who knows Hebrew knows that it's meant to be memorized and sung. And that's what it was written for. And it was written in that way so that folks could memorize it better and use it during public reading because it would flow right off in poetry in Hebrew. And, uh, and, it, and it would help with, with singing during worship. They would often sing these very words. And so, when I, when I approach it, though, through the years, not knowing all of these things till you know, I studied to preach it, but through the years, many times as a Christian, this has probably been the most used psalm in my life. This psalm right here. Um, and it's, it's definitely one of my favorites. And again, we're not going to read all of it this morning, or even just we're going to read portions of it. 
But I would like to explore this psalm a little bit further by asking the question. Here's our question, okay, for us today as we look at these words. How does this psalm help us? How does it help me when we walk out of this place and we read the words of life and we read this psalm? What are the benefits for us as we consider this psalm, Psalm 119, in our lives? And so I have five ways that this psalm will help us. And then our sixth truth is how is this psalm applied in the gospel of Christ. And so that's where we'll end up. So here's five benefits for us. Number one, this psalm proclaims the holiness of God. Really, this psalm is about God. It's about His standard. There is an emphasis on righteous instruction. And we need righteous instruction. So if you read the entire psalm, you will see nine main words that come out over and over and over again. And they all express the same idea. God is holy and His instructions are good for us because they come from a holy God. And so, here are the nine words that we will see over and over again that express God's holiness that comes down to us. Here are the nine words. Law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, saying, and then way. Often he says way. This is the way you must go. This is the way you should go. And all of these words are used in, in they're, they're interchangeable in many of these contexts. Take a look with me at, at verses 1 to 9. Where we find in these first nine or eight verses, we find every one of these words that I just mentioned in one go to begin the psalm. It's beautiful. Verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but they walk in His ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way? Verse 9, I'm moving on there. How can a young man keep his way pure? But by guarding it according to your word. Again, these nine words are used over and over Again, to express God's righteous standard. A good illustration would be a ruler. If you were going to measure for new blinds in your house, have you ever gone and thought, yeah, just, I, I got that just right, but then you don't use the right ruler, and then you go to Walmart and you get your blind, and you come and it's just a little bit too short or just a little bit too long. Well, this is what the Word of God, and particularly Psalm 119, does for us. It's very clear on what God requires for us as He is holy and He requires righteousness for us. So, that is one benefit that we get when we read this psalm. We see God's holiness and His righteous standard for us. Second benefit. This psalm tells us what God requires. So, what does God require from us? 
God does not simply give us a standard. He also demands obedience from us. Verse 4, look there with me. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Throughout the, psalm, throughout the psalmist emphasizes walking and keeping. Look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Those who keep His testimonies. Then verse 3. Who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Now, I believe the psalmist in this context, is referring to the law of Moses. This is what he would have known, and this is what the people would have known. He, they would have remembered that God delivered His people from Egypt, and He led them to Mount Sinai, where He gave the law to Moses. Who then, He came down from the mountain, and what did He do? He delivered God's law, God's laws, all these commandments, precepts, testimonies. That is what God delivered, or Moses delivered to the people there at Mount Sinai. And they... God made Himself known, and they knew exactly what God said. And what did they say, if you remember? When they heard Him that first time there, or one of the, this, the, one of the times they heard it, what did they say back to, to Moses? They said, Moses, this is good, and we will do that. In other words, we agree with everything that God is saying to us, and it is right, and it is good, and this is what we will do. That's found in Exodus 19. So I ask, what is God's requirement for us? Well, to put it brief, just shortly as I can, it is obedience to all of His commands as we come to Psalm 119. Obedience to His law, obedience to His testimonies, to His ways, to His precepts, to his, all of these words here. And in this psalm, we have a man who wrote this psalm, I believe, wanting to do that. And I think that's with me personally how this psalm has helped me. Because I see myself fall short. And what do I do? I go to this psalm and I see this man who is also falling short. And he says throughout it, Lord, help me to do these things. Help me to be obedient. Obedient. Verse 5, look there with me. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. Turn over to verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Look at verse 31. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with a whole heart. There's, that's not all of them. That's just a little bit. All throughout this psalm, that's what we see. So let me, for a moment, and this, this particular point's a little bit longer than the, than the others, but let me ask some questions to us that might be helpful to us as we look at Psalm 119. Did the psalmist, or any person who was there at the base of the mountain, or any of the Jews, the Israelites at that time, or any time for that matter, live up to every part of the law of Moses or any of God's commands before the law of Moses was given? Well, of course, we know the answer. It's a rhetorical question. We know it. Even if they had kept every precept, every command, 
where would the problem still be? The problem would still lie in the heart, which flowed from a, a nature of sin. Jesus, I often quote this in my preaching, but Jesus said, Men, you may have not committed adultery, but if you've ever looked at a woman on the internet, or in your car, or in a magazine, or out on the street in a way that is lustful, then what have you done? You've committed it where? In your heart. If you've ever, and, and just to all of us, the next thing Jesus says right after that, He says, if you've ever thought evil about a neighbor or about someone. See, these, this is God's law. Always love your neighbor as you love yourself. And here we see it through, throughout Psalm 119. But if we've ever thought evil about someone, then what, what have we done? We've broken God's, God's law, we could say. God's command. God's righteous requirement for us. We've broken it in our heart. And what do we call disobedience to God's standard? To God's law? What do we call it as Christians? It's called sin. And our psalmist knew that he was a sinner. And all he could do was fall upon the mercy of God. And this, by the way, was way before Christ. We still fall upon the mercy of God, but it's sure in Christ. They were looking forward. Back in that day, they knew those, those who had faith, knew those blood of the, of the bulls and goats could not cover their sins. But it, they, they, they claimed and they trusted by faith in the mercy of God. Look back at verse 41 of Psalm 119. I think he was waiting for God's standard to come one day, looking forward in faith to the Messiah. But look at verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And then all the way over to, to verse 156. Turn over a few pages. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. So let me, let me ask another question. Are we supposed to live up to the law of Moses? And this is a hard question. <laughs> because in some ways we, <clears throat> we, we have to say yes, because that is God's law from the Old Testament down to us. But what do you think about that? Well, if you think about the law of Moses in its entirety, do we keep the washings? Do we keep the ceremonial systems of sacrifices? Do we stone adulterers? Well, when we read this psalm, it's very important for us to remember the context. It belongs to the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. Pre-Christ. The principles are there for us to learn, and they're all the same today. Even when we come to the New Testament, Jesus says, Obey my commands very clearly. But we must remember... God's requirement from the Old Testament, even in the New, is still the same in the sense that it is obedience to His instructions to us. Always. Since the Garden of Eden, it has always been, Adam, Eve, obey me, and you will live. It's always been the same in that regard. God says, be holy as I am holy. But... The key here is we must remember that the law of Moses under the Old Covenant was a precursor 
to the new covenant in Christ. It prepared Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And if they were honest in their hearts, they would have known they could not keep all of God's commands. And they knew it, especially those who had faith. They would have known that the blood of bulls and goats could never wash away their sins. And I think the psalmist points to that, as we'll see in a moment. But the point is this, we know what God requires of us. So, let me give a quick application before moving on to the next benefit. Just about the Word of God in our lives. These words are good for us. They're good for us. And I hope that you come in here on, on a Sunday morning, you're not just thinking, oh, this is the preacher again, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, if you're doing that, then you're doing it on the outward part, but you're not getting to the heart. But these words are the words of life. So, it's not just reading them, but it's reading them as Psalm 119, the author, I believe, read them with a heart of praise and worship to God. They are good for us. They help us. They instruct us. There are many verses in this psalm that point this out. Three of the most famous verses in this psalm would be verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? So, young men, young men, how can you keep your way pure? Do you have intentions? We could go further. Do you have intentions of keeping your way pure? Maybe you don't. If you don't, then you should repent now. But if you do, then how do you keep your way pure? Hopefully, some of us have memorized this. By taking, the old King James says, taking heed according to God's Word. Verse 11, look there with me at verse 11. The psalmist says, I've stored up your Word in my heart. Just like the squirrel stores up the, the, the nuts in the tree and in the nest for the wintertime. So what do we do? We store up the Word of God in our heart that I might not what? Sin against God or sin against neighbor. Look over at, at, at verse 108. And this one, I still think about the first time probably I heard this verse was, in all honesty, back in the 80s with, <clears throat> late 80s with maybe Amy Grant. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when you are having trouble making life's decisions, what do you do? What should we do? We go to the Word of God. When you wonder if something is right or wrong, sometimes it's not so black and white, but I promise you God has an answer for how you should respond and react to everything that will come your way because He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And right here in Psalm 119, it's very helpful. So, God requires obedience from us. And that's one of the reasons we read this psalm. Third benefit. This psalm teaches us that godliness leads to happiness. Which of us does not want to be happy? I've often thought, thought through the years... And even, I think this is the way the world thinks. Hey, if, if you're happy, and I'm not doing anything to make you unhappy, then, then it's all okay. I mean, because there's one sense there that all of us, world or Christian, we want to be happy. 
Well, this psalm teaches us a lot about true happiness. And so happiness, though, which is what the world misses, happiness is the natural outcome of godliness. Here, the psalmist is happy because God has given him these requirements. So when you pick up not 119 and you read it, or you read something that's difficult, and then you find that when you read it, even as difficult as it is, that you find happiness coming, then you probably are on the right track. And you probably have the Holy Spirit within you. Because doing what's right makes us happy. And this psalmist, the writer of these words, knows that obedience to God's law will bring him happiness. Okay, let's look at some verses. One and two. Starting it off. Blessed means happy. Same word Jesus uses in the, in the Greek New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So they're happy. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies. Look at verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Brothers and sisters, it is more important to delight on that which is true in God's Word than to delight on if we could have everything under the sun. Verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 56. The blessing or this blessing, or this happiness has fallen to me, that I've kept your precepts. It's like the apple falling out of the tree from God's Word. And there it is, pick it up and eat it. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 103. I like this one. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I ate some honey yesterday. Boy, it was good. I bought it down at A&R, car place of all places because it's local, but it's so sweet. And I could just, I could take 20 of those every day. But God's Word is sweeter. Verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. For they are the what? They are the joy of my heart. Then finally, verse 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out. But your commandments are what? My delight. Parents, you know, and you've probably told your kids this, but I always told my kids, could pick one of their names out, and I won't do that. They're not even here today, and I could do that easily. But I would say to them, child, an obedient, put the name in there, is a happy child. And it's the same with us. And you know this to be true as well. The godlier my walk is, the godlier your walk is in this life, the happier you are. And also, there's, I haven't preached much on assurance, but godliness is, is tied to assurance as well. So let me ask you this, kids, when you are disobedient to your parents, and you know they're right, okay? But you're disobedient anyway. Are you happy? Even if you, you may disagree with them, and, um, but you decide to be disobedient. Even if you disagree with them, you're still unhappy with what you've done. Or not necessarily what you've done, but 
with just disobeying your, your parents. We know that's deep within us. Husbands, think about how you treat your wives. When you constantly do not treat your wife as you ought or your kids as you ought, how do you feel? Wives, when you don't treat your husbands well, when you don't respect them as you ought or love them as you ought, how do you feel? Even with us, how do we feel when we go a day, two days, three days, maybe even a week or longer without reading God's Word? I mean, I, I can't sit here and say, oh, surely, you know, you don't do that or you haven't done that. I'm your pastor, I'm one of your elders, and I've done that many times. And I, I can tell you many things, I, I would, if I were to share my sins before you, would, you would embarrass, you'd be embarrassed. And, but you know what? If you shared your sins before us, you would also be very embarrassed. So how do we feel? How do you feel when, when you're not faithful, making the gathering together, which Hebrews 10.25 says, do not neglect or forsake the gathering together of God's people, that it's a normal part of, of your life. How do you feel when you don't do it? Young men, particularly, maybe the older men as well. <clears throat> when you look at something, if you're really a Christian and you find something on the internet that is ungodly, and you look at it, how do you feel? Now, I'm not saying here that we must work our way to heaven through our obedience because Christ was obedient in fact all of these things that I said now were, were difficult and they're to myself as well but we as Christians we look unto Christ and we we've sung these songs we've cast our cares our burdens our sins upon Christ and we know that we are forgiven so I'm not saying that we work our way we have an advocate who goes before the Father. But what I am saying is, particularly to the Christian, if you are a Christian, I am saying that happiness comes through practical godliness in everything that we do. Now, if you are not a Christian here today, there will never be lasting happiness. For sure. Why? Because guilt remains upon you if you are outside of Christ. But, again, to end up this, this truth, the happiest Christian is the most obedient Christian. So that's another thing we get from this psalm. And that, I love that when I read it, because that's what I want. I want to be happy when I look at the things of God. Number four. <clears throat> this psalm motivates worship from the heart. That's what this psalm does. And that's what it's after, I think. Throughout this psalm, the writer considers God's commands. And as he thinks about them and meditates upon them, his soul finds great delight. And really, what is worship but delight in God? If you come to church year after year after year and you don't find that, that you have delight in God, then I would say you're not a Christian because the Holy Spirit produces that in His people. But this psalm will be helpful as Christians, particularly as we go through times where we, we don't feel so good about worshiping God. We've had a bad Sunday morning, had a bad week, we've had sickness forever, we've had a death in the family, we've laid in a hospital bed for, for weeks and weeks at a time, or 
you just name it. We, we could go on and on and on, but this psalm will help us worship from the heart in the midst of all of our struggles. Look at verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. Verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Verse 62. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. You find yourself in the middle of the night waking up. The older you get, the more you wake up. Perfect time to praise God for His righteous rules. Verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Verse 164. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Verse 169. A few verses here. Let, me cry, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your commandments are right. Again, throughout all of my years, this has been one of the most helpful psalms to me. When I find myself cold and down, when I find myself spiritually lazy, when I find myself lacking in devotion, when I find myself lacking in boldness to share the gospel, when I find myself not really desiring to praise God at this time or this season, I read and meditate on Psalm 119. There's so much more to this psalm than mere outward obedience to God's law. The heart that worships at the thought of these truths is blessed. <clears throat> so I want to encourage all of us to do the same. Finally, number five, and then we'll, again we'll close with, with an application in Christ with six, but this is the last benefit here. This psalm creates a desire for a deeper knowledge of God and His ways. And it goes along with everything I've already said, but look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. When the psalmist considered God's law and all the wisdom behind his commands and his instructions, he wanted to know more. When we consider God and His ways, we want to know more of Him. If you remember, I've given this probably illustration two or three times through the years, but if you've read Chronicles of Narnia, and you come to the time, it's, I guess it's probably in the last battle, maybe? or the, No, it's before the last battle. But it's where Reepicheep comes to Narnia, to the land of Aslan, and there's the waves going up. You've seen it in, the, in probably if you've seen the movie. Um, but... Uh, he goes up and over and you never see him again because he goes into the land unknown, goes into to heaven. But there's another place in the book that basically says farther up and farther in because we'll never, ever, ever get to the end of the greatness and the beauty and all of what the Bible says about God. We'll never get to the end of that and more. 
because God is so great. And so we look forward to that. And so that's one of the things that this psalm does. It moves us up and in further and further that we might understand His ways. And we know His ways are endless. All of Solomon's wisdom was not even the tip of the iceberg compared to God and all His ways. Look at verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Verse 96. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Verse 130. The unfolding of your ways gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant. Because I long for your commandments. I think of a, a dog running along with his owner that's thirsty, but yet will not give up on the owner to run alongside. There he is panting and panting for devotion. With his owner. Verse 144. Your testimonies are right forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Brothers and sisters, we need this psalm today and tomorrow and, and, and every day. And we need the motive of this psalmist in our own hearts. Christianity can become so commonplace. Has it ever become commonplace? course it has this is why we need a deeper desire for God and his ways and by God's grace I, I still don't know why I am still moving down the road to heaven and sometimes I feel like I'm I'm really not moving that way when I look at my heart and I feel like I'm just stopped but I, I feel also like I, I'm I'm like Peter, who Jesus said, are you going to leave us? And Peter says, for all of them, Lord, where are we else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So this is what I want, a desire. And throughout the years, this has been my go-to psalm. And still, I think it will be going forward. When my faith feels weak, when your faith feels weak, read these words. When your prayers don't seem to go to the ceiling, when my prayers don't seem to do that, Read these words. When, I, when you are lazy spiritually, when I am lazy spiritually, and we feel that our pursuit of God has come to nothing, pray these words. When you need revival in your heart, go to Psalm 119. And don't just spend a minute. Spend an hour. Spend two hours. Spend a half a day. Brothers and sisters, if you've never used this psalm in these ways... I pray that you will do so in the coming days. Finally, this morning, this psalm <clears throat> finds its fulfillment in Christ. God's instruction, God's law, God's precepts, God's ways, find their fulfillment in Christ. In other words, we cannot stand up to the test. We've broken His standard, we've not been obedient to His instructions. And this leaves us with no hope in and of ourselves. So in order to truly apply this psalm, we must look unto Christ. 
Only in Christ does this psalm find its fulfillment. Very quickly, let me recall the rich young ruler of Matthew 19. He came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do? There. So he's on the right track from Psalm 119 for sure. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he's figuring, hey, Jesus is telling us a little more here than Psalm 119. Otherwise, he would just say, do the law. Which is, we're going to see that. But Jesus says immediately to this man, keep the commandments. So there you go. Keep the commandments. And the man said, okay, Jesus, which ones? And then Jesus goes through the second part of the Ten Commandments. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not, or excuse me, honor your father and your mother, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't mention, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, have no idols before me, and those first three, particular four commandments there. <clears throat> but then the man says to Jesus, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor. There's a lot there, but I want to notice what he says next. You will find treasure in heaven. And then at the very end of that, if he would have just stopped there, then he would have been a good, maybe a good Pharisee. But then what does Jesus tell the man to do? Then come, follow me. And then what does it say? The man went away. Because he had great possessions. You see, J Jesus applied Psalm 119, I believe, for us. Instead of simply saying, keep the commandments, he said, follow me. You see, Jesus took the commands of God to their fulfillment by saying, follow me. He elevated the law of God to love from the heart to look unto the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to, well, if you go back and read Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked and who, who keeps all of God's commands. And he's like the one planted by the tree of waters. I still believe that is completely fulfilled in Christ. And so Christ fulfilled all of Psalm 119 because he followed God in his heart and he followed God in all of his actions. So he elevated the law of God to love from the heart to the Messiah, God's only Son. See, God is concerned with the heart. Really a heart that loves and follows Christ. And this is faith. And this is union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. So if we think about all of these five benefits, going back through the Psalm, Psalm 119, in Christ today we have God's standard. He says, this is my Son. Listen to, remember the transfiguration? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So in Christ we have God's standard, for he is God in the flesh. In Christ we have God's righteous requirements re completely fulfilled because he lived a perfect life in motive and in action. In Christ we find all of our happiness. We find happiness because he obeyed God's law and that we could not. And so our happiness comes in someone else who, who obeyed God's law. In Christ, we worship God. We find <clears throat> when we consider the gospel, our hearts are glad and we worship again. I've said often, Christians sing. 
from the heart. You might sing, and I don't, I don't want to judge others that sing, but even on TV when you see people singing all these Christian songs, you often, we often wonder, I'm not going to judge them for sure, but when Christians gather together, Christians sing, and we sing from the heart. And I think that's a, even if you can't sing, you want to sing, and you, and you do your best to sing and, and give that noise out. That's, that's, a, that's a test to me. Our hearts are glad. In Christ, we desire to know God fuller and deeper. For all the wisdom of God is found in Christ. So when Christ becomes more beautiful to us, so in the great mystery of the Godhead, God the Father becomes more beautiful. The law came through Moses, but what, what, what does John tell us? Grace and truth came through Jesus. So, the next time that we read this psalm, and hopefully it'll be today, this week, remember it proclaims God's holiness. It teaches us God's requirement, which is obedience. It teaches us that godliness leads to happiness. Four, it causes us to worship. And then five, it causes us to know God and His ways more deeply. And then finally, it's, it's fulfilled in Christ. So with that in mind this morning, let's, let's end our time. I hope this is helpful as we go about this week and as we think about uh, Psalm 119 in the future. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You. You are good to us always. And we have taken Your Word for granted. And we have neglected it. And on and on we can go. But we pray... In Jesus' name. Because He is the one who atoned for our sins on the cross. And then we have the Holy Spirit. And we know the Holy Spirit has come down because He has risen from the dead. And then He has ascended to you where He sits at your right hand of the majesty on high and He has given us the Holy Spirit. Today I pray these, I pray these words of Psalm 119 will help us. As Christians, if someone is not a Christian here, I pray that, Father, you give them ears to hear and eyes to see. They may look unto Christ and reach out to someone who is a Christian and say, I am not. Please help me. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. But to say that we've been saved by your grace. You love, we love you because you first loved us. So help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.